This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. Ooh, doggy! Welcome to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you as we take another step closer to the divisional playoff. Bills, Bengals at Highmark Stadium. Mid-afternoon start, Steve. Mm. going to be hard to wait that long. Nah. We just started getting used to the mm. 1 o'clocks, and now we're going to 3. I'm all right with it. I'm not complaining. It's just sometimes it's a little harder to wait that long. The problem is the other end. Oh, the back end. The back end. You know, it's it's dark. It's dark, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be dark before the game's over. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of a bummer. But still, um, have you looked at the weather forecast yet? I have not. I must admit, there I is a do. chance of snow. I've heard not a lot of measurable, nothing significantly measurable. I've heard these rumblings about yes, the snow thing. Thirty percent chance of snow on Sunday, and let me see if they have it down to the hours. Uh, One o'clock is the peak chance for snow. It appears. Um, so, yeah, we shall see. And there, I think they're only saying like an inch or two. So you were talking about yeah. dusting, you know, this yeah, little snow globe yeah, action. It's like low at 39, high at 43. Is that what you're seeing? Wait, wait, hold on. If I got no, this right. I don't think you have the right this? day. What is this? I think no, it's only going to be about. No, it's the wrong city here. What's going on? What are you doing over there? What are you doing? This computer stuff confuses and scares me. Well, we've yeah, tried we to go. help you with that. <laughs> we've tried. Yeah, okay, there we go. Now I'm back on this. I'm back in it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's typical January weather here. As a matter of fact, you think about last week's game. That was a slice of heaven. 38 degrees, sunshine, slice of blue heaven. skies. How often do we see blue skies here in January? Yeah. That just doesn't, that flat out doesn't happen. Yeah. It was You're lucky uh, if you see the sun once every couple of weeks. Right. It was a great day, fun game, uh, closer than what people thought. But I, you know, yeah. as I look back on it, I mean, it, <clears throat> the Bills were the better team and showed it. Um, they kind of, messed around you know the sack strip fumble was a huge play and even then after that they came back and got a 10-point lead yeah that if you look back on it from this end of it it's like eh, it was never really in doubt even when they took the lead so yeah it was a fun day although people were nauseous over watching it <laughs> well they were wringing their hands a oh little bit gosh. yes yeah I'll, I'll give you that absolutely uh we i tweeted it out yesterday Late in the afternoon, because the Wednesday injury report for the Bengals came out way late yesterday, significantly later than the Bills put theirs out. And not I, I'll give you what the report says, and then I'll add a little bit more based on what some Bengals reporters were talking about concerning some of their injured players. So Jonah Williams, the left tackle who went out with the dislocated kneecap Sunday night, did not practice yesterday. We should tell you that he also dislocated this kneecap back in week five and played the next week. So I don't know if we're ready to just definitively say the Bengals are going to be without their left tackle. We'll know more based on his availability in practice today. Then you have starting right guard Alex Kappa, who missed last week's game with an ankle injury. And according to reporters in Cincinnati, it is bad. One of the reporters said they saw the Bengals starting right guard on a scooter. 
like he's got his leg up on it. You know those push scooters oh, that yeah. those guys have, where you lay, where on you your put knee. your one leg on there you and you push with the on other knee. Yeah, yeah. So he's got one of those. He was seen in the locker room with that yesterday. That certainly doesn't bode well for his availability on Sunday. Um, and then the other injury that I think is slipping under the radar a bit is their dime defensive back, Trey Flowers. The Bengals don't play a ton of dime, but they play a little bit more than most teams these days. And Trey Flowers is their dime defensive back. He's their 6DB on the field. Uh, when they go to that package, he's got a hamstring injury, which, as we know, is difficult to come back from. So be interesting to see if he's not part of the equation. Do they scrap dime altogether as an option defensively? We know Lou Anarumo, the defensive coordinator for the Bengals, likes to disguise coverage, mix pressures. He, he's big on variety. And you wonder if Trey Flowers is not available for Sunday's game and he has that taken away from him. Does Anarumo just scrap the dime package altogether or does he have a guy that he thinks could be a suitable replacement? I'm not so sure that he does. Good question. Uh, Anarumo is so good at adjustments, and that's what everybody says. If, yeah. you, if you're limited with your personnel, you're limited with your adjustments as well. Uh, that doesn't mean he can't scheme it up still. Uh, but, yeah, these are – these injuries uh, for Cincinnati are have got to be concerning for them. If Kappa and Jonah Williams don't go, they've already lost Lyle Collins, their right tackle. It's it's rough, and it's only been a few weeks. Like week fifteen is when the last guy. That's when played. the first guy went the first down. First guy and went then down. The next week, another guy goes down, and the next week, another guy. It's goes been three down. weeks, and they haven't had their five guys back on the field yet since. So it's and if anybody watched that Sunday night game, Ravens Bengals. After Jonah Williams went out, and now they had three, the equivalent of three backups in the game, they couldn't move the ball. Yeah. They couldn't run it, and they couldn't throw it. So right. the benefit for them is they have a whole week to get it all lined up right, right. and practice some, together. But right. they better have their they, silent count ready. Right. Jackson Carmen came in at left tackle. Who is, right. Carmen is listed as a guard. Right. He played left <clears throat> tackle at Clemson. Actually protected Trevor Lawrence's blindside in college. So it's not like he's never played there. Of course, the NFL is a little bit different animal than playing it in the right. ACC. But he has snaps there, I guess you would say. Yeah, he's not a foreigner to the lining up with his hand on the, yeah. or, you know, out there on the left side. So, yeah, exactly. And he's, you know, in the SEC, he's going to go against some pretty quality ACC. opponents. ACC. Clemson. Yeah. Oh, that's right, ACC. So he's gone against some pretty, really good opponents at that level. So, yeah. They're not going to be bereft of somebody to actually line yeah. up out there. I'm, I'm just very curious, and we talked to Bengals radio color analyst Dave Lapham, who is a former offensive lineman of the Bengals, number one, on our podcast this week, Bills by the Numbers, which is out, by the way, if you want to check it out. And we had an interesting discussion with him. He is really concerned about who they're going to have available on the offensive line because he thinks it is a problem, and it's his anticipation they're going to have to keep a tight end in to chip and a, and a back to chip at times. And he said the key here is if Buffalo's front four can get pressure against their five and they have to keep extra people in, it's advantage Buffalo because now you're dropping seven into coverage against what amounts to four, maybe five guys out in routes. Yeah. Yeah, well, you got to take advantage of it if it's there. Uh, if you're Buffalo, you've got to you've got to make them pay for that. Um, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. So we'll see what the Thursday injury report holds for 
the Bengals, probably not until late in the day again because they're not in any hurry to get that out, it seems. Practice, as far as the Bills are concerned, and we should tell you that practice Bills practice updates are presented by LECOM, Lake Erie College of Osteopathic Medicine. The news is pretty good on this front because we saw Daquan Jones back out there practicing again today. Uh, he was limited yesterday, and he was a new addition with a calf injury on the injury report. First time I've seen him on the injury report all season long. Better news on Isaiah McKenzie, a full participant in practice yesterday coming off the hamstring injury that kept him out of last week's game against the Dolphins. So he is certainly trending up, and it'll be interesting to see if the Bills decide to go with five receivers on the active roster and that's it, or if they elevate John Brown again this week and go with six. Right. They haven't had more than five for the better part of the last six weeks. For the first time in a long time, they've actually got six healthy receivers. Are they going to dress six? That's what I'm curious to see. Because yeah. it hasn't been more than five the last six weeks due, due to numbers and injuries. Right, and and other considerations too. I mean, um, special teams is always a, a, a thing. Naheem Hines being the return guy gives them an extra roster spot. Although one less, I guess, because then you've got Naheem Hines playing mostly special teams, maybe a handful of offensive snaps, yeah, and Taiwan Jones as a running back. So now you got four running backs with Singletary, You're not even counting Gilliam. Cook, yeah, and Gilliam. It's five. That's five. So if you go five running backs, that's why they only dress two tight ends, though, because Gilliam can kind of sure. double there. Yes, exactly. But still, I mean, you run out of spots pretty quickly. Yeah. When you when you've got five running backs down, two of them are special teams mostly. And then you've got, what, what are you going to get, six, five receivers, maybe six? It's, I think it's a question of snaps. So if you think John Brown is only going to get ten snaps on offense, is that worth more to you than 20 snaps for Taiwan Jones on special teams? Right. You know, so you have to – that's what they weigh out every week. Well, how, often, how much are we going to use him? Well, we think we'll use him this much. And, you know, they just kind of weigh that out. So I'm curious to see what direction they go in there. Um, so if they go Especially with the way Shakir has flashed of late, Steve. I mean, he essentially plays the same position as McKenzie. Are you doubling up there? I know that McKenzie can do other things around the line of scrimmage, jet sweeps, those kinds of things. He can line up in the backfield and do some stuff for you there, too. But with what Shakir has done the last two weeks, I'm very curious to see what the breakdown is in terms of the decisions they make. Because, I mean, let's not make any mistake with this either. Cole Beasley showed up two last week. Two big – I know he only had two receptions, but both of them were big. One was for a touchdown. The other one went for a catch and run at 29 yards. I mean, that's right. not – and, you know, I love Isaiah, but Beasley is more sure-handed than him. He just flat out is. So – it's great that McKenzie's healthy. I just wonder if he's up this week. Eight running, eight, eight offensive linemen, two quarterbacks, five running backs, two tight ends. That's 17 guys. Not counting linemen. No, eight OL. Eight oh, you, do, you counted the Eight offensive line. linemen, two quarterbacks, yeah. five running backs, two tight ends. So that's, like I said, that's 17 guys. 
So if you go 20, and if you got three special teamers, that's 20, 10 defensive backs, five linebackers, and eight defensive linemen. That's 18, that's 26 there. Yeah. And, and only, and only 17. Yeah, they usually dress five linebackers because they have three on special teams. That gives them some. That gives them like two or three guys to play with. They could have. They could go. Yeah. What my point is, my point is they could go with five wide receivers if they wanted, maybe six. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be an interesting juggling act because it is every week, especially when you're relatively healthy. Jordan Phillips, we saw back out there practicing as well today. He was limited yesterday with the shoulders. You know, he didn't play last week. He decided to give that nagging shoulder injury a break. We'll see what the plan is for him this week. Because um, you have guys in reserve on the practice squad like Brandon Bryant, Ilianku, who was called up last week when Phillips was down. I wonder what kind of DT they would choose to replace Jordan Phillips. You may want a guy with a little more pass rush. Ilianku made sense last week because I think they were expecting – the Dolphins to run the tar out of the ball, knowing they had a third-string quarterback starting. So I understood that move. This week with Burrow, you may want a guy that gives you a little more pass rush, which would be Brandon Bryant, I would think. This is all assuming Phillips doesn't play. If Phillips is good to go, then that's a moot point. But I would think what you're looking for there is a little more pass rush, knowing how much the Bengals are going to throw the thing. Right? I mean – that's right. the way I would lean. Yeah. Um, the Bengals don't run it as as well as people might think they do. Um, so I don't know how much of how afraid you are of that. Plus, if you're going to play complimentary football, the Bills are the Bills are going to throw it. And if you know if if they're if the Bills go out and and light it up, the Bengals are going to have to keep up with it. And that means yeah. throwing it, not running it. Um, I'm with you. I, and maybe maybe you did, instead of four D tackles or you go with three and go with five defensive ends with knowing that one or two of them may slide down inside on passing downs you know what I mean take the rotation that way yeah it's possible I don't know I I found I found this quote you know I'm cruising around and doing research for the game and whatever saw this quote from Jamar Chase yesterday just want to get your thoughts on it he says We'll get to see what we really are in this game. People already know what we're capable of. They've got a good defense, but their offense is what holds them up. They live through their offense. They have good players on defense. They've got DBs that stand out. They'll be good matchups, but this is going to be an offensive game. The offense will have to put up points on both sides if you want to get a victory. That's the main goal. That's Jamar Chase's take on this game. Now, you could create a little bulletin board material there if you wanted for the defense that this guy thinks they're just going to come out and light him up, put points on the board. Um, I don't think he meant anything derogatory by it. I think he was just of the opinion that these are two teams who yeah. have offenses that carry them to victories. And right. after you watch last week's tape where the Bills escape with a 34-31 victory, I could understand why you would think that way if you're Jamar Chase although the defense got put in ridiculous circumstances well, got, last week. And to, in my opinion, as I stated earlier in the week, the defense ended up closing out the game. They well, won the game they gave for the up Bills. 24 points. 
The offense gave up seven of them. Oh, right. Fumble return. So for they gave touchdown. up 24 points to the Correct. Dolphins. Um, and 18 of them were on short fields because yeah, of 18 turnovers. off turnovers. They, yeah. gave it, they gave it to them on the 18-yard line, the 38-yard line. And I the 23-yard line. the 23-yard line. So the, de- the defense did pretty well. Um, so, that yeah, he's right. Uh, he's right in a lot of ways. We've all looked at these two quarterbacks and the weapons that they have and the way the Bills have been scoring points and, and the Bengals, what they're capable of, as we've seen them. Uh, he's right. Everybody does kind of have this idea that this may be a, a track meet. Um, and the Bills' defense is good. Compared to the, compared to the Cincinnati defense, the Bills is better in, a lot, in some ways. Not significantly skyrocketing ahead better, no. They're very close in a lot of ways. Yes. But, the, but against a dilapidated – offensive line of Cincinnati, it tilts in Buffalo's favor. So he may be right. But you're, I, anytime there's that long of a quote from a player on the other team, it, it draws eyeballs. Because mm-hmm. the best way to handle situations like this is just is to shut up. Because <laughs> anything <laughs> you say can be construed or taken out of context and stuck right up on the bulletin board, and those guys will have – you know, the other team has – fire coming out of its ears they're so hot you know it's just the way it is you just the best plan is just to be quiet yeah i get it these guys can't help themselves they're awfully confident you remember they were chi- they, they were should be. they were I mean, chirping I, yes, they, were they were chirping back in week 17 yes they you were. remember that yes they were they're gonna come we're in. no underdog to anybody i wouldn't we're the top dog in the afc you remember joe mixon saying that yeah and that that game started out to be a little it was a little chippy I oh thought. yeah they were yeah, the Hendrickson leg whip yeah, at the leg Josh whip at after Josh. the play. Um, all of that stuff. Hayden Hurst cleaning out Taron yeah. Johnson on a block and then right. hitting him again and after he was on the ground. On the ground. Um, yeah. Yes. There was I didn't some appreciate stuff. that. There was some of that going on, yeah. Um, so, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. It has a chance to be like that. I think it might be. Maybe. I think it might be. Um, so, those are your practice updates. We should go around the league now here briefly as we tell you around the NFL, presented by Collider Health, the official health care system of the Buffalo Bills. And the Bills are going across the pond next year, Steve. Stop. They've got a game in London at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Tottenham Hotspur Stadium is the one that the Bills stadium is modeled, modeled after. after. It's, a, it's a, the new stadium the we're new, talking the, about. The new one, the new one that's going to be built. Um, Interesting. Um, makes a lot of sense to me. Let's get a look at it, you know. It's it's pretty sick. I know. It's pretty nice. I've told it? you a few things They've about it. They've got like a 150-foot bar that they overlooks the biggest the bar walk that you can see the game while you're standing at the bar. Yeah. The reason like why. Like live the game. Not, yeah. a, not a screen. It's like you're looking in the field. The main reason why is you can't bring beer back to your seat that's in t- Europe. That's totally Buffalo right there, man. Come on. Let's um, go. But in some of the suites there, they have the refillable cup. You put the I cup saw, down yeah. on the on the cup stand, and there's a there's a plug a gasket, in the bottom, yeah. and you hit the button, and it refills your beer from the bottom of the glass, and then the the plug retracts, and you got a full beer. You didn't even move. Is Boom that, diggity! Is that pure gluttony or what? I'm all about it. And then the other cool thing about, about that stadium it. is. The football, the American football field is a turf field. The soccer field 
is a grass pitch, and it literally rotates out. Yeah. So it separates, and there's a conveyor totally, belt underneath. Totally Jetsons. And it comes yeah. up, and the yeah. turf field all of a sudden meet is George, there. Yeah, it's totally meet George Jetsons. So the soccer field is not the same field that they play American yeah. football games on. It's a turf field for that. It's If you've ever seen the mechanics behind it, it's like, it's stupid. Yeah. Like, just the engineering involved. It is an absolute masterpiece of a stadium. Um, they have that giant... Uh, catwalk thing over one end it's it's like it's kind of like that thing they have in new york city the edge where oh, you I've can walk there. out i've been there it's similar to that in tottenham hotspur <laughs> stadium at one end yeah, of you the gotta be, top you, rim you gotta be okay with heights doing it you can walk out there doing that mm. it's pretty sick um but yeah that's where we know the bills will play in tottenham tottenham hotspur stadium the last time they played there was in wembley because Tottenham Hotspur Stadium had not been built yet. It was being built at that time, but it wasn't finished. And so they will play at the brand spanking new venue where NFL games are staged in London. Don't know who yet? We don't know who they're going to play. Jacksonville seems obvious. Don't know if that's... Right, but here's the thing. Jacksonville's home stadium... Do we play Jacksonville? We do play Jacksonville next year, and it is one of our home games. But So I guess it's possible... But Jacksonville usually plays as a home team in London, and when they do that, they play in Wembley. I'm not saying that rules Jacksonville out, but it does make it interesting. And there there are a number of teams on Buffalo's home schedule this year who played in Europe last year. So I don't know if they want to send one of those teams back-to-back overseas. And we had been talking about this for some time, Steve, because we knew the league stipulates that every NFL club has to play at least one international game every eight years. Well, 2023 is year eight from the last time the Bills played over there, which was back in 2015 when they did play Jacksonville at Wembley. So it was a it was a foregone conclusion. It's just a matter of who and when, and we'll know more of that. Actually, we'll probably know that date before we know the rest of the Bills schedule when it's released in May because they usually announce right. the NFL yeah, Europe but, uh, games, dates, opponents, and times prior to the full release of a team right. schedule. But that's usually like April, the, a couple of days before, not, not like months. Might be April, late April maybe, maybe, right before the draft or something. I don't know why that's sticking in my head. I could maybe. be wrong. But we'll know that date probably before any of the others for here and on the road for Buffalo's 2023 schedule. Still pretty cool. Jaguars, Chiefs, Patriots, Titans are also hosting NFL international games in 2023. So I think because of that, Steve, so all those teams are losing home games. Jags, Chiefs, Patriots, Titans. Yeah, so I think it's safe to say the Bills are not playing the Jaguars for their Europe game. They're not playing the Chiefs, who are also on their schedule for their Europe game. And they're not playing the Patriots who are on their schedule for a Europe game because all of those teams are hosting. So that leaves the Giants, and they played in Europe just last year. Tampa, they played in Germany just last year. Um, Las Vegas played over there just last. Mm -hmm. So did Denver. Could be the Cowboys. Might be the Cowboys. Wow. The Cowboys. Wow. Wow, yeah. That would be a wow. 
That would be kind of a wow. That would be a wow game. Especially, if they, especially if they meet in the Super Bowl. Woo! Yeah, and you know the Chiefs are hosting a game over there, so it's probably not them. Pretty crazy. Pretty crazy stuff. Yeah. We uh, saw some NFL coaching news around the league, one of which was Steelers offensive coordinator Matt Canada is going to return as OC, which I think is a good thing for Kenny Pickett more than anything else. So no change there. However, within their own division, there will be change. One year left on Baltimore offensive coordinator Greg Roman's contract. He has stepped down as offensive coordinator, according to reports. So how much do you believe that is tied to what Lamar Jackson's future is there in Baltimore? Does that help them get him back under contract, or do you think it hurts them? Wow. Greg Roman, he built an offensive system around Lamar Jackson. I think it hurts. I think it hurts the future. If they sign him, Greg Roman, Greg Roman, his ability to design a run game was second to none. It it was absolutely the key ingredient to Lamar's MVP season. And that's not the only place he's done it, Steve. He did it here in Buffalo. They led the league in rushing two years in a row. He did it in San Francisco with Colin Kaepernick. They led the league in rushing. If there's something going on behind the scenes with the coaching step with John Harbaugh and saying, listen, we need need to step it up in the passing. They want to do that. And Lamar's clamoring. Hey, you got to let me throw the football and get me some weapons and all that. If they're clamoring to do that, and to me, Pittsburgh fans, Cincinnati fans, and Cleveland fans are doing cartwheels because they're a tough team to beat with Lamar doing that running right. offense like they have been. But let's be honest. With where this league is going, that does limit you as an offense, that approach. I think you can only uh, – to me, the Ravens and the Titans are kind of the same animal. You can only go so far with that kind of offensive football in this league. Can get you get? It. Are you good enough to get to the playoffs? Yes. Are you winning the whole enchilada with that approach? No. I don't think you are. Not against the best. And defenses. I think the Baltimore Ravens realize that. Yeah. And that's that's my belief as to why those two if, parties are parting if ways. If they're decided that, that means no Lamar. Does it? Yes. He can't throw it well enough not to well, run that offense. I, I would agree with that. But do they do they believe they can find someone who and can I'll say make this, him a better passer? And I say this too. Um, I heard some people call in. You know, all all the radio stuff I listen to. I listen to talk radio, sports radio a lot. It, this just in. And you've got people coming in saying, "Hey, the the Ravens didn't help him out. He doesn't have any doesn't have any weapons. He doesn't like yeah. You know why he doesn't have any weapons? Because he can't throw. Free agent wide receivers aren't going there to be a run blocker. You think Steph Diggs is going to go? But put a neck roll on and block for Lamar? <laughs> neck roll. Are you kidding it. me? <laughs> Nobody wants to play there as a wide receiver because it's a running offense. Yeah. You don't get targets. Mm-hmm. You don't get opportunity. You don't get scheme for. Your number doesn't get called. Not unless you're Mark Andrews. Right? So why um, they can't? They either have to draft a guy like that, which they are doing that. Well, they did with Rashad Bateman. He was a first-round pick. And he's hurt because, you and know why? Probably what? Run blocking? No, I'm just, I'm teasing, but yeah, maybe. But that's the thing. <laughs> maybe they 
and also not giving him anything. They built their entire franchise around. Don't tell me this. They didn't give him anything. They gave him everything. They sold out for him. Yeah. They changed everything for him. Coaching, roster, wide receiver roster, defensive roster, philosophy. Everything was changed for Lamar. Don't give me this stuff. They didn't give him anything. And now they, their offensive coordinator says, I'm out. Well, you, you have to believe there's got to be a difference of philosophy there. Maybe John Harbaugh and the other powers that be believe that this offense has to be taken in a different direction if they're going to compete with I the agree. best teams in the conference. Look at all the quarterbacks that are left. I agree. They all throw the tar out of the ball. Lamar's not that guy. He's not, but he's not right now. Maybe in some way they believe they have a coordinator that can make him look better. I mean, how bad did Trevor Lawrence look last year? I get it. And now look at how good he looks with Doug Peterson this year. I think Baltimore is going to be on the hunt for somebody like that in the hopes they can fix Lamar and then franchise Lamar, make him better, make him happy, and then sign him to a long-term deal after next year. Okay. That's my guess as to what their plan is. Good luck. Well, I I would say the same because he still can't throw outside the numbers. We have to take a break here. But when we come back, we're going to be joined by this week's legend of the game. And it's a goodie. Eric Moltz coming your way next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker, and pleased to be joined now by the man who is going to be this week's legend of the game when the Bills host the Dolphins in Sunday's playoff game. Legend of the game is presented by the BFLO Store, the official retailer of the Buffalo Bills. It is the one and only Eric Moulds joining us. You can download and visit the Bills app and enter for a chance to win a $250 BFLO Store gift card and a signed Eric Moulds football. Saturday, January 20th, 1 to 2 p.m. at the BFLO store, 4199 Transit Road in Williamsville. Eric will also be live at the Enhanced Seneca Soundstage in the bus and limo lot on Sunday from 1 to 2 p.m. Dude, you're going to be busy. Yeah, it's a good thing. That's a great thing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So you'll be able to check out Eric, as we said, at the BFLO store on Saturday, the 20th, 1 to 2 p.m., and then out by the bus and limo lot on the Seneca Soundstage, 1 to 2 p.m. Sunday. Don't worry, that's not while the game's going on. It doesn't kick off until 3, so a little bit later start time. Eric, how you doing? What do you, what do you, make, of, uh, what do you make of the latest Bills playoff run? It got a little hairy last week, but they got through it. Yeah, that's what the playoffs are made for. You know, Steve could tell you that, man. Every time you're in the playoffs, anything can happen. It's a new season. Uh, the intensity, the level of play goes up. So you got to be ready to go. Was it hard not to, uh, seeing it was Bill's Dolphins, was it hard not to remember the 98 playoff when, uh, well, for lack of a better term, you went off? Yeah, it reminded me a lot of that. You know, uh, you know, I, I recently, you know, it's crazy. I recently, before that, talked to our old coordinator, Kevin Gibride, on the phone, and we were talking about the game that we had in in the stadium where we beat the Dolphins uh, 33-21, I think it was that score, and the the yards that we put up. And that game came to my mind and also the playoff game. So it was all – anytime the Bills play the Dolphins, I have a lot of memories. 
Yeah, it's it's one of those rivalries that was on the back burner for a while because of the success the Patriots had. But man, with uh, with the way Tua has played, Mike McDaniel bringing the most out of him and Waddle and Tyreek Hill, and of course all the things that are going on with the Buffalo Bills, it has really heated up that rivalry as of late. Yeah, they they got a pretty solid football team. They're they're scary. They can score offensively. They have two dy- dynamic receivers. Uh, their defense has proved tremendously. So. Uh, I think they built their team to try to match our team. They went out and traded for a pass rusher, uh, got some guys in the secondary, and got some really good coaches there. So they really, I think, from what I see, is they, they're building their team to compete with the Buffalo Bills in our division. Speaking of dynamic receivers, we're not going to be short on them this week, Bills-Bengals, so it's kind of fitting that you're in the house. But uh, Diggs, Gabe Davis is waking up in the playoffs again. And then, you know, they're three – You'd be hard-pressed to find a better trio of receivers than what the Bengals can line up every week with Boyd, Higgins, and Chase. Yeah, they're very good. They're, they're very solid. And, and the thing what you, you, you look at when you have three solid receivers, really good receivers, any one of them can have that type of game where it's a 150-yard game. It's one of those games that they can explode. Uh, I think our job, as our defense job is to do this week, is to try to slow them down. You're not going to stop all three. But if you can limit their big plays, you give, you, a chance of, you give yourself a better chance of winning. You talk about how these games are a little bit – it's a new season. And I was just asking, kind of describe what you remember about the difference between regular season and playoff football. They usually say it's like preseason, then there's regular season, then there's regular season, then there's the playoffs. Um, describe the atmosphere and the differences in playoff football. Uh, I think for me, uh, it's the intensity and the anxiety because you know if you lose, you're one and done. So every second, every minute, every play counts. Uh, You want to limit your mistakes, and you don't want to be the team that turns the ball over as much as the team you're playing. And I can tell you back when we played Miami in that playoff game, we had Miami beat from talking to a lot of their players like Zach Thomas that played a lot of their uh, really good players. And and we turned the ball over five times that game, so – Obviously, the the numbers were against us to win that football game. And I think that no matter what team is playing, whether it's the Buffalo Bills this week or the Cincinnati Bengals this week, whoever turns the ball over uh, the most usually loses that game. So if we limit our turnovers, I think we give ourselves an excellent, excellent chance to win this game. So that's what I that's what I recall from the playoffs a lot of. You obviously played with a quarterback who could chuck it around the yard and drew Bledsoe. The Bills have a guy that can really throw it in Josh. And it was interesting watching the game unfold last week, Eric, because they got Diggs involved early. And then at halftime, the Dolphins said, well, hold on a second. We're not going to let this guy beat us anymore. They completely put all of their attention on him. And then Gabe Davis goes off. Cole Beasley makes a few plays. My question to you is, how did you and Peerless Price kind of work off each other in that way back during the 2 season when you guys both had, I think it was over 1,100 yards each, you know, and right. more than five. I think each had like seven and nine touchdowns, something like that. How did you guys work the defenses, you know, and, and kind of take advantage when you saw coverage shift? Well, you anytime you got two solid guys like Gabe and you got Diggs, you got to have a Batman and Robin, and everybody has to know their role. But the role of that number two receiver is to say, hey, if they take our main guy away, you have to make plays. No matter who it is, uh, if, if it's Beasley, if it's Jacor, if it's Knox, those guys have to take pressure off of Diggs because at the end of the day, every team that comes in 
to, to our stadium is going to say, okay, we cannot let Diggs beat us. So uh, those guys have to know that, and Josh knows that. So, you, you know, you got to be solid. You got to give your number one chance to make plays because Dig is a special talent. But at the end of the day, it's about winning. So at times it's going to be like, why are they not getting the ball to Diggs? But Diggs has to be patient. He'll get his touches. But it comes it comes about, in my opinion, in this game, it's going to be a situation where Shakur, Knox, in our running game with Singletary and, and uh, Cook, they're going to be the keys to us winning this game. Now, you're going to have some plays made by Davis and also Diggs. Diggs, Diggs is going to be Diggs. But this game is going to come down to those guys making plays and taking pressure off of Josh. So if our guys, our our guys that are our, our not our Batman, but our Robin guys make plays, we should be successful in this game. Yeah, I agree with you. Sometimes it's it's not your stars do show up and they're going to be there when you need them and all that. But it's the quote others that really puts you over the top in games like this. I was going to ask you this: you got two quarterbacks. These are two guys are unbelievable quarterbacks, Joe Burrow and Josh Allen, but they're very different. Joe Burrow is an in the pocket. Guy, he's athletic enough, but he really doesn't run very much. He's slippery enough, but man, oh man, he delivers the football. And Josh is a guy. He's like you know, they, he's like a buffalo man. He'll pound through people. He'll sling it all over the yard. You know what? As a receiver, what are the differences in playing with a guy like Josh and playing with a guy like Joe? Well, I, I tell you what, I'll give you guys an example. Uh, I played with Doug Flutie and and, and Drew Blesso. Uh, Drew Blesso is similar to to uh, Joe Burrow. Right. Stays in the pocket. He's not going to run very much. He's going to deliver the ball where it's supposed to be. Now, Josh Allen, on the other hand, is a, a little bit of both. He's the size of Drew Blesso, but has the feet of Doug Flutie. Right. So you have a guy that's going to make plays with his arm and also with his feet. So to give you an example of what I think about both of those quarterbacks, Joe Burrow at times will run, but he'd rather not run. He'd rather sit, sit in the pocket and deliver the, the football, which – makes him extremely dangerous because receivers are going to work to get open more for him. As, as Josh uh, can run and throw, he's a, he's a, he's a double threat. And he, he's the guy that we can't afford to not play well to win football games. All right. So a lot of people, Eric, believe this has the potential to be a shootout. Um, first, do you see it that way? Do you think it has that potential? And, do you think it could be a game where it comes down to whoever has the ball last? No, honestly, I thought about it last night. I thought maybe it could be one of those games that it's going to come down to who has the last possession. But then I thought as I watched football over the years and I, you know, I watched the Bills growing up, I watched a lot of great teams with offensive uh, grow up and, and playing this league for a long time. It could be one of those games that one of the teams, both other teams out. I think if, we do what we're capable of doing, run the football. Josh makes the plays that he usually makes, and our defense is played solid. We'll blow this team out. I think that it's one of those games that I think could end up being a 38-21 to 21 game. I think uh, you look at uh, when we play really well, we don't turn the ball over. Right. Uh, when we let teams in games, we turn the ball over. I think Cincinnati is one of those teams that Joe Burrow is a guy that he has turned the ball over, but he's a guy that's going to make the plays that are there. We take those plays away from Cincinnati early. I think it'll be one of those games where a lot of people in the, in the country will be surprised, like, wow, the Bills are a really legit team. Mm. Yeah. I like that assessment okay. a lot, and I hope you're right, because <laughs> we'll all be – my blood <laughs> pressure will be a lot lower this Sunday if that's the case. Can't wait so, to see you, man. Yeah. Great. I'm glad you're going to be here, Eric. That's going to be awesome to see you. Thank you, guys. It's always great to see you guys, man. 
All right, that's Eric Moulds, this week's Legend of the Game. When the Bills host the Dolphins in Sunday's playoff game, the Legend of the Game presented by the BFLO Store, the official retailer of the Buffalo Bills. In case you didn't catch it at the beginning, you can visit the Bills app, enter for a chance to win a $250 BFLO Store gift card and a signed Eric Moulds football. Saturday, he will be at the BFLO Store on Transit Road in Williamsville from 1 to 2 p.m., and then he will also be live at the Seneca Sound Stage in the bus and limo lot on game day from 1 to 2 p.m. Don't forget, kickoff is at 3. So be a chance to check out Eric over there as he'll be shaking hands and taking pictures and doing all that stuff. To me, that's a guy that is a prime candidate for the Wall of Fame. Um, yeah, he, he was... That dude was special, He was man. a tremendous player. A tremendous player. I mean, he was one of the, he's one of the few guys... Um, and I was his teammate for his first year. Um, Man, he was tremendous. Yeah. Tremendous. Really good player. Um, fun to watch. Just like, you know, you have those players that are just fun to watch. That guy was fun to watch. He really was. Um, and, you know, Flutie for, you know, the pluses and minuses to his game. He was a guy that was smart enough to know, hey, I'm throwing it to Moltz. Yeah. Any chance he had, he was throwing it to Moltz. Yeah. Um, that was one of the biggest reasons why he had a 100-catch season. And 100-catch seasons weren't a dime a dozen back then. So yeah. I still remember a play he made against New England. It was a night game. He's coming down the middle of the field on a deep post, and the pass is behind him. And he catches it with one hand on his, on his, on his upfield hip and never broke stride. He, like, twisted his upper body while he's still running towards the end zone, just turned, caught it on his with one hand on his back hip, and just ran into the end zone. It was, it was stupid. People in the press box were like, whoa! And you're not really supposed to cheer or say anything in the press box, but people were pretty amazed by that one. It was ridiculous. He was a, and he had a lot like that. He was a, one of the most phenomenal. In a, in a game full of unbelievable athletes, he was unbelievable. <laughs> it was unbelievable. So, yeah, it was great. Yeah, he's a great player, and he deserves to be a legend of the game. No question about it. Yeah, he, he deserves a lot. Yeah, he. And you think you talk about going to the wrong team at the wrong time? He is a total example of that. Now he did get to the playoffs the first couple of years he was in the league, but you know, for the quarterback carousel that he lived through and was you know destined to be a part of for most of his career, man, oh man, what a player he was. So Eric Moles, legend of the game this week, and with that big bass in his booming voice, it should be good. He should be getting the guys hyped, getting the fans hyped come Sunday afternoon. We will take a break here. When we come back, we'll set the table on the topic of the day. We haven't gotten to that yet. It's pretty straightforward. We'll tell you what it is next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, here we are on One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. This week's game sponsor is Northtown. Whatever you're looking for, you'll find it at Northtown, the official automotive dealer of the Buffalo Bills. Shop online at NorthtownAuto.com. It is a simple topic for you to discuss with us. What is your key to a Bills playoff win over the Bengals on Sunday afternoon? You let us know at 803-0550, the number to get on board. And you can also hit us up on the tweet sheet at One Bills Live. Good conversation there with Eric Mould. It's interesting. He is not the only one 
who believes that the Bills will handle the Bengals and surprise some people. Uh, Eric Weddle, former NFL safety, was doing an interview with Kay Adams, formerly of Good Morning Football. She now has that Up in Adams podcast. And he was saying he thinks the Bengals are in trouble, too. And, Most man, them, yeah. I, I kind of want to give the Bengals their due respect. I mean, not for nothing. Last year's playoff run, they did come back, beat the Titans, which shocked some people. They're really good at forcing turnovers in the second half of football games. Anarumo draws up some halftime stuff. They come out in the second half, and they confuse quarterbacks. They're getting takeaways, and they did it again last week. They get a fumble in the second half, take it back 98 yards, and win the dang game. Like, they're opportunistic in a way that I think deserves some respect. I don't know. I, I, it's true. Maybe and, I'm giving them too much credit. And sometimes that can be the personality of a team. I just don't know how you game plan that in. Yeah. You know, if, if you could game plan three second-half turnovers, you'd do it every week. Right. And but if you crazy- don't – and teams don't – shouldn't help – you know, teams – Help them when they do that, yeah. obviously. You know, I mean, it's not so much about them or their defense, about the other team. What, maybe they're in a close game. Maybe they they keep teams close and teams get desperate and turn it over. I can see that. Uh, but you talk about Eric Weddle, who, you know, thinks the Bills could get away, and, and Eric Moulds as well. Uh, most of those guys are talking about how the offensive line of the Bengals isn't what it should be right now. And we don't know that for sure. There's still a chance that Jonah Williams could come back and play left tackle for him. Right. Uh, he did it before. And even though he's not practicing, I mean, at this point, how many reps does he need? Right? So, they he could not practice all week and still plug in and play at left tackle, and they'll be fine. Kappa, from what you've heard and some of the reports that are getting out of there, that he's still a, a ways away. Okay, fine. But they've been without him for a month. So, or almost that long. So, yeah, their offensive line may not be as hobbled as it could have been, but I think it most of it hinges on Jonah Williams and his ability to get back on the field. That's what you got to watch. And that's where most people think if their offensive line is compromised to that degree, you got to not give the nod to the Bills in that situation. Right. Yeah, I I mean I get that. I just they just seem opportunistic. They may not even play better in a given game. And right. somehow they end up winning games. I guess that kind of luck has to run out at some point, and hopefully it does this week. But I don't know. It's I feel like I should give them the respect they deserve as the defending AFC champions. And, you know, you look at their run last year, it was fueled by takeaways. They got nine takeaways right. in four playoff games last year, and almost all of them came in the second half. It was uncanny. And then they do it again this past Sunday night, and I'm just like, well, hold on a second. They're going to do it again? So it just has me wondering uh, how that all will shake out it's, here on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, it's an issue. Um, it's, but I'll say this. It's hard. To, the Bills, and I, I said it before, the Bills are that team that have turned it over, and it hasn't bothered them. They're seven and two this season when they give the ball away two times, two plus times. They're four and one this season when they turn the ball over three times. All other teams in the league are twelve and sixty-two when they turn it over three times. The Bills are four and one. Yeah. The Bills, they're hard to beat, no matter what. Yeah. And the only way that teams beat them is when they help those teams beat them. Right. 
I mean, it, it, that's all there is to it. You can beat the Bills, but you need their help. That's right. Yeah. That. You want me to put it on a bumper sticker? Yes. <laughs> Fair enough. Give me a T-shirt with that on it. Let's take a phone call real quick. We'll go to Mark in West Seneca. What do you got for us, Mark? You're on One Bills Live. Uh, good afternoon, guys. Hey, I, I, two things. I wanted to chime in on Lamar. Uh, but as far as winning the game, I think this game falls directly on the shoulders of Leslie Frazier in this respect. Um, with our situation in our defensive backfield, I don't believe we're, we're good enough right now to line up and say, uh, you know how we play, you know what our coverages typically are, our guys are just going to beat your guys. Their guys are too good right now. Uh, I think he's got to be very multiple in his coverages, and I think he's got to come up with some different kind of things that's going to make Joe think and maybe uh, things he didn't expect the Bills to do during the game. And I'm not saying get crazy exotic, but I think he can't just be uh, simplistic, do a couple things on the defensive line and say, we're going to beat you guys because – uh, Chase, Boyd, and Higgins are just too good. They're just too good. I would and then the other that. thing, yeah. I, uh, um, the other thing I wanted to mention about Lamar, because there's always a lot of talk about Lamar, and and I try to look at this, you know, common sense wise. And I look at the Baltimore Ravens and I say, this is a great organization that perennially is always very good at recognizing talent, uh, drafting talent, developing talent. Uh, you've got a great coach in Harbaugh. And he uh, he develops his players. He's a Super Bowl winning coach. He knows what it takes. And they've had Lamar for what four years now. And you're going to tell me that this organization sees this guy in practice every day, and sees him throwing the ball, and tearing up his what is typically a very good defense, and then says to themselves, you know, we're not going to give him talent. We're just going to make him just continue to run the ball. I mean, they see this guy every single day. They're a good organization. If they really believed in him as a thrower of the, of the football, not only would they have over the last maybe two, three years ago, went out and really tried to get him top-end talent, uh, they would have signed him number one already. And they also wouldn't uh, trade guys away like Hollywood Brown and things of that nature. So I, I think if you just look at it from a distance and say, use common sense and connect the dots, this organization doesn't really believe he's a thrower of the ball. That's my take on it. So, All right. thanks, guys. Yeah, I, yep. Appreciate the call, Mark. Mark. that's a nice call. I, I, you're right. Um, Baltimore, I've, I said it earlier in the show that Baltimore has, has really built that thing around Lamar, both outside and inside. They got in Greg Roman, who could really design run plays and run a run game that would support him and help him maximizes talents um, and you're right they have not they have not been able to or have not given him weapons on the outside uh, but see and they see him every day they know what he's capable of and what they do what do they do they build it to what his strengths are they try and maximize it you don't build your roster hoping your quarterback grows into it you build your roster of what your quarterback does well and they see him every day and I think that's a big point by you Mark they, yeah, but with Roman now they, they parting ways, him. with Roman now parting ways, 
there might be a shift in philosophy there that they believe Lamar in that kind of an offense can't get them over the top into a Super Bowl because he can't stay healthy enough running the ball that much. And if they don't want him as their quarterback anymore and they've already bounced Roman and they're going to sign somebody else, they're still smart enough to not let him get away for nothing. They're going to franchise the guy, sign him to a long-term extension, and trade him. That's what they'll do if they don't think he can win them a Super Bowl. That's what they'll do, I think. Um, I, I, yeah. I, what I would do is draft his replacement, franchise him for two years, and then let him go. Franchise it for one year. Because you're not going to be looks good. Then right. get or him you could trade him at the end of it. You could trade him after off the franchise tag or whatever if he signs it, and just just let him go someplace and yeah. see if they can do it then. I, yeah, I, Lamar to me, and he's the MVP. I get it, but they're not in the Baltimore is not in the business of helping their quarterback win the MVP. They're in the business of winning Super Bowls. They don't care if Lamar's the MVP or if he's the number thirty-two starting quarterback in the league if they win in the Super Bowl. It's not about Lamar and his individual accomplishments. And they're having a hard time getting over the hump with him as their quarterback. Yeah. Break time for us here. When we come back, we're going to talk a little Bills in Europe since they have that game in London next year. And who do we tap for that? NFL UK reporter Neil Reynolds, of course, is going to join us next here on One Bills Live. Stay tuned. All right, here we are, hour number two on One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you here on a Thursday. And we're going to be joined shortly here by NFL UK reporter. Coverage of the NFL in the United Kingdom, the one and only Neil Reynolds, will be joining us here momentarily to discuss 2023 regular season football in Europe. Total of five teams set to play games overseas, the Jaguars and the Bills in the U.K. And one of those games at Wembley, the other at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, that being the Bills game. And then beyond that, you've got the Chiefs playing over there, um, along with who are the other teams? I just lost my page, darn it. It. Was, uh, it was the Bills, the Jaguars, the Chiefs. The Patriots and the Titans. Patriots and the Titans. Thank you, Steve. So all those teams playing overseas, a couple of them in Germany. And no teams will be playing in Mexico City next year because Stadio Azteca is undergoing renovations. So there will be a one-year hiatus in Mexico City. No games south of the border next year. Bills were last in London at Wembley Stadium in 2015. Played against the Jaguars, a game we would all like to forget. Heartbreaking finish on a phantom pass interference call on Nikel Roby Coleman. He didn't even touch the guy. Gets called for P.I. on fourth down. Fresh set of downs for the Jaguars with the Bills up 31-28. And Bortles and company go on to score a game-winning touchdown, 34-31 the final. Bortles and company. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, that's not fun. Right. <clears throat> yeah. It was brutal. Yeah, we yeah, y'all rem- you remember all those plays, right? The one go, the just give it to him. Well, game my vantage the, point yeah. in the stadium, first of all, we were in an outdoor press box. So that was kind of a new thing. Open air, you know, mm-hmm. which you don't really have too often in the NFL. There are some stadiums right. that do have it. Because of the time of year, we never get that. Yeah. So that's part one. Part two, my vantage point 
where I happened to be sitting, gave me the perfect angle on that play to see that there was, in fact, separation between Nikel Roby Coleman and the intended receiver, whose name's going to escape me right now. And they call P.I. on fourth down on Nikel Roby Coleman, and there is no way you can convince me there was pass interference on that play. But they called it, spot foul, first down, and the rest is history. It was just infuriating because E.J. Manuel had a horrendous start. I think he had three turnovers and ten snaps. <laughs> and they were down like 28-3 to three or something. And they staged this comeback. It was amazing. And they took the lead, 31-28. And then the phantom call extends the, can- the uh, Jacksonville drive and they win the game. So you want to talk about a long flight home? Oof. That was a long one. Yeah. That was a long one. Um, so we're due, to de- we, due to technical difficulties, Neil Reynolds isn't going to be able to be on with us. That stinks. Oh, wow. That does stink. So oh, it was wow. good to talk to Neil. Yeah. He did have a column in which he put together, Steve, his divisional round power rankings. Did you mm, see this? I did. I did. So I'll start from the bottom and go to the top. Number eight, he had the New York Giants. Number seven, he had the Jacksonville Jaguars. Six, the Dallas Cowboys. Five, the Philadelphia Eagles. Wow. Five. Wow. Wow. Nobody's done that. No. Four, Cincinnati. Three, Buffalo. Two, Kansas City. And checking in at number one for Neil Reynolds, the San Francisco 49ers. So, there you go. I, I was surprised he had the Eagles at five. I think they're a pretty good all-around roster top to bottom. Not a ton of playoff experience, but, you know, they got some vets on there that are still from that Super Bowl team back in yeah. 17. So that's not, that's not lost on me. But five, that was, that was a surprising one. Yeah, the, the, yeah. Philly is a, a well-rounded pass rush. They had run 70 the ball. sacks yeah. this year. I know. 70. I, that's hard to game plan for right there, that man. That is a it, fat That's a f- number. Fat number. Golly, Jawilliker, 70 sacks. It's uh, tied for third most in NFL history in a single season with the 87 Bears. The 84 Bears are the record holder with 72. And then I think the 85 Bears might be second in sacks. Um, but, man, is that a lot of sacks. 70 been a while since that's happened so that was impressive um you know and then they got you know Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown on the outside they got Miles Sanders who can run the ball obviously Jalen Hurts runs it around I guess people are on the NFC side of things they're concerned about Jalen Hurts injured throwing shoulder because all it's going to take is one knock and then you could have a problem yeah well sure and then it's the Gardner Minshew show which has its Detractors. Well, I mean, that's the way it is for every team. That's the way it is for every team. But you don't know, you know, because he's fragile and has been hurt, you don't know how good he's going to come back and how sturdy he is once he does come back. Same thing can be said for all of these teams. You know, Case Keenum is going to win the Super Bowl for the Bills? Probably not. You know, same thing in Cincinnati. Same, you know, same thing in San Francisco. Who's behind – Brock Pur- Brock Purdy was the bottom rung of the ladder. 
Josh Johnson is your backup quarterback in San Francisco. He of the 15 different pro football teams? That would be correct. Wowzers. Well, you know, there you go. <laughs> is Henny still behind Pat Mahomes? Chad Henny? I will have to double check. I am not 100% sure on that. I'm not either. I'll take a look for you. I'm going to find out here. But, yeah, it's it's unbelievable what would happen if any to any of these teams. So you can't really go in thinking that. And, and I get it. I'm, I'm – Brock Purdy is the story of the playoffs because of it is Chad Henney. Yeah, yeah, it is. Oh. <laughs> so oh. that guy, he's got he's a hell of a fourth down a couple of years ago he's against as the old, Browns. He's as old as you. Probably. He ain't as old as me. Probably could be. So if anything happens to these guys, think of and and I look at the NFC and the AFC and the difference between these quarterbacks. You've got. Lawrence, Mahomes, Allen, and Burrow. In the NFC, it's Daniel Jones, Daniel Jones, Jalen Hurts, Jalen Hurts, Brock Purdy, Dak Prescott. And Dak Prescott. Which one of those, if any, would be ranked in the top four of all eight? In the NFC, you mean? No, in the in the playoffs, in the bracket left, the eight teams left. Oh, the top four quarterbacks are all in the AFC. In my opinion. Including, including Trevor Lawrence over Dak Prescott? I would. Okay. Yeah, I would too. We knew it coming into this season. We looked at the, look at the roster. Now, we didn't know Matt Ryan and Russell Wilson were going to, you know, melt, for lack of a better way to put it. It happened. But Justin Herbert was right there. Yep. Lamar's team was there, although he was not. Correct. Yeah, the oldest quarterback in the playoffs right now? Is Dak Prescott, 29. He's the oldest guy. That's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing. Good, you know, hey, good. Uh, Everybody else is 27 and under. And you had, yeah, and, and even in the, you know, if, if Miami's foot quarterback was healthy, I mean, it's, you're looking at, you know, Skylar Thompson, but it was Tua. Yeah. And then the rest of those guys we've already talked about Mahomes, Allen, Burrow, and Lawrence. And then you go to the NFC. It's Jalen Hurts, who actually, you know, he's the guy. I mean, he. you think Jalen Hurts is going to be there 10 years? Um, I think the only thing that would keep that from happening. Contract. Contract and or injury. I worry about his durability, as we've already seen. If he's going to continue to run it that much, durability is a concern for me. He is not a big right. man. So He's got, like barely 6'1". And right. he's not big framed. I so mean, he's got, not Bryce Young, but right. he's not a big guy. So you've got Hertz, Brock Purdy, and of course Kirk Cousins, who's out of the playoffs already. Hey. And then the forty-five-year-old Tom Brady. Tom Brady at forty-five, Dak Prescott, Daniel Jones, and Gino. I love it. Gino, Gino baby. The comeback kid. He might get comeback player of the year this year. If you're a free agent. Right? Yeah. I think it's him. I don't know. I, don't I think know it's him get, or McCaffrey. Was never, it wasn't injured. I think it's got to be maybe McCaffrey because he was injured. Gino was just wasn't good enough. He was just on the shelf. Yeah. He wasn't good enough to, to get on the field. <laughs> How is that coming back? Coming back to play? <laughs> right? <laughs> he still hasn't recovered from his broken jaw eight years ago. I mean, let that, it, that's let his team to the stuck playoffs. Stuck with him. Um, <laughs> I, that's if you're if you're a free agent, I mean you got 
Aaron Rodgers finished 10th in the NFC this year, the Green Bay Packers. 10th! Yeah. They, they were the 10 seed. They stripped too much of it away. That's the problem. That was the problem they had. Yeah. It's a different era, man. It's all about the young quarterbacks now. There's no oldies. And they're all in the There's AFC. no oldies left. They're all in the AFC. If you're a free I mean, aren't, doesn't that attract, like, the? say, for instance, you got these guys who are free agents, whoever they are, big-time wideouts. Isn't the AFC where you're going to be? If you, I mean, you're not your, gonna, if you want your numbers to look good. Right? You're not going to go over and play in Carolina, New Orleans, Atlanta, Chicago even, with fields. I mean, maybe. I don't know. He doesn't throw it well enough. Washington. And I get it, too. I mean, all these other teams like Houston, Indianapolis, Vegas. I don't you know who's going to play there. Cleveland. Tennessee. And then the Jets, New England, Pittsburgh. All yeah. those, I mean, New England, uh, Pittsburgh is going to get better. Yes, they will. They'll be better next yes. year. We're asking you today, what's your key to a Bills playoff win over the Bengals? You can let us know at 803-0550, 1-888-550-2550. We go to the phones and to Bill in Cheektowaga next. What do you got for us, Bill? Hey, how you doing, guys? Good. Got a nice little story about Eric Mould. Years ago when he was playing, he was at the bank that I was doing my banking with. There was a little fella in the foyer selling candy bars for his peewee football team. And as we were leaving together, he stopped and talked to the kid for a minute, asked him what the name of his team was, what position he played, and took a couple of candy bars out of the box and handed the little fella a $100 bill and said he was Eric Moles and I his way he went and that'll tell you not only was he a good football player he was a good man also just a nice little story for you yeah thanks bill appreciate the phone call thanks for sharing it yeah eric was a good dude he was a good dude for sure um he was as serious as a heart attack on the football field though oh man he was a he was one of the few wide receivers. You see other guys like Steve Smith was a little bit like this, although Eric was much more. Yeah, Steve Smith was an angry elf. Yes, he was angry. Um, Eric wasn't angry. He was, I don't know, he was just, he was just totally, he was just, oof, he was big and bad, man. Yeah. He was, uh, he was an intimidator. Um, he wasn't bluster. And he could really play. He was a big – that guy was like a big wide receiver one, man. He was, he was all of that. He was, he was a great player, truly a great player. Yeah, certainly was. The shame of his career, finished five yards short of 10,000 receiving yards for his career. 9,995 receiving yards. That would bother me. <laughs> that would bother me. Can't catch one pass for five yards. Help a man out. You know what I mean? Sign me for a week. Let me just catch a pass. <laughs> and then I'm, I'll walk right out after that. I promise. Um, some coaching news. Offensive coordinator candidates are being interviewed in New England, and the Patriots have reportedly, this according to NFL Network's Ian Rappaport, interviewed Alabama offensive coordinator Bill O'Brien today for their vacant OC job. He had been there serving as that, as the team's offensive coordinator in the past in his first stop through New England. Does he go back for a second stint? We'll wait and see. 
Apparently, they are also going to interview Vikings wide receivers coach Keenan McCardell for the offensive coordinator job. That's going to happen on Thursday, and it sounds as though that's going to be their last interview for that post, so a decision might be done by the weekend. If you're laying odds, you're on O'Brien, right? That's what they do? Bring back the retreads? I hate myself for muting my – yeah, nobody else is inside their circle of trust, you know. You know how I feel about them. <laughs> That's why I asked. <laughs> yeah, they can't let that – they can't let anybody who doesn't know how they do business back inside the building. Yeah. So we heard that Byron Leftwich was probably going to be let go by the Bucks as offensive coordinator. That has happened – they have also canned eight other assistants. So Todd Bowles, who took over as head coach late in the game last year when, in a strange well, and weird move, Bruce Arians stepped out of the coach's right. box and went upstairs as a consultant. But that, some was, believe, that was in the offseason. Some believe that happened to get Brady back, um, right. whether that's right, wrong, or indifferent. Now Bowles is going to get a chance to really kind of shape his coaching staff. He inherited that coaching staff. Now he fires the OC along with eight other assistants. He's got some hiring to do now, and he's going to be able to hire his own people. Yeah, that's interesting. And that, Do you think that's also a concession to Brady's wishes? I suppose it's possible, but to me I think that's more about Bowles. Because if you think be. about it, Bowles had to – pick up the baton in the 11th. What was Aaron. that, March? He, he, got, he got named to the post in it March. Was, no, it was – was it before or after Brady came back? Because Brady was it retired was for 40 days. Right. They got knocked out in the playoffs in mid-January. He's retired for 40 days. I want to say that Todd Bowles was named the head coach after they kicked the Arians upstairs. And I want to say that was like early March, like late February. Um, I could be wrong on the dates, but he, he didn't have time to assemble his staff. It was too late. Oh, yeah. Everybody that was worth anything was hired already, and it might have so been, he had to go with the guys he had. It might have been that they said, hey, you got to make keep the staff intact for continuity's sake and let's go forward. But, yeah, I, I, that's changing now, and maybe that's a little bit of a reaction to how the season went. Certainly, uh, offensively, they were nothing to write home about. They couldn't. They didn't run the ball. And they couldn't run the ball. At all, and so they just stopped trying. Half the time, yeah, they didn't even try to. That's why I think Brady led the league in pass attempts, or it was either I, him or Mahomes. I, no, he did, and I think he set a record. He, I know he he broke his own personal record of like six hundred attempts for the season. <laughs> Man, <laughs> woo! It was crazy. The Colts have announced they just finished interviewing interim head coach Jeff Saturday for the full time head coaching position. So they continue to interview candidates there. wonder when that wheel will stop. May not matter. Yeah. I they, don't know. They just seem all out of whack. They obviously need a quarterback. They have to get a head coach. I don't know. <laughs> I, I really don't. I don't like, either. I, you had, like, a feeling that with Chris Ballard and Frank Reich, there was some sense of stability there even if you didn't have it at the ownership level. And then Frank gets kicked to the curb. Ballard's going to stay. And now they're still interviewing head coaching candidates. 
they don't have a quarterback, I don't know. They got to make a move. They got to get a. They have to get a quarterback in the draft. They they have to. They can't keep going down the veteran retread route, like they did the last five years in a row at quarterback. They well, they can't gonna, do it. Well, <laughs> they're going to do that anyway. They're going to bring a guy in. They're going to draft a guy and bring a guy in. I if I'm always I've always been a proponent and a fan of the John Elway school of finding a quarterback. Draft one every year, sign a bunch every year, and sift through them and find the best guy. And if he's not the guy, you do the same thing again next year with five completely different guys. You don't keep a guy around who can't play for any length of time. Elway knew what he was looking at. He played the position, was coached by a number of different guys, won the Super Bowl twice, uh, brought Peyton Manning in. Got, he knows what he looked like, what they did with Peyton Manning, especially at the end where they sat him for five or six weeks, get in the playoffs, and then let him finish his career with a, with a win. All of that stuff. That's the way you find a quarterback. You cast a wide net. I mean a wide net. And you give up what it takes to get one. Now this last thing, I don't, Elway's not involved anymore, and they, they traded the farm for Russell Wilson. I wonder what Elway thought about that before it happened. Certainly now it's, like, easy to say what it – but I don't think he would have gone for that. Hmm. I, but I, what do I know? Maybe it was his idea in the beginning. I don't know. Maybe he had been talking about it. I don't know. All I'm saying is I'm a big fan of what John Elway did with the quarterbacks in Denver. And you can say, well, they never found – yeah, they never found one. It wasn't from the lack of trying. They brought everybody in. They traded, for, traded bad guys for better guys – sifted through that and that's what happens you know what is we were this franchise was there the bills were there for a decade and a half looking for a guy drafting them free agents if you don't have that quarterback everybody you can't move you can't move ahead if out if you don't have that guy you can't move your franchise is stuck mm-hmm. until you get it and that's where indianapolis has found themselves now they've to their credit, they've got signed a pretty good veteran guy, but they've think about it. They went from the playoffs, Phillip Rivers in the playoffs. Well, at first it was Andrew Luck, then it was Jacoby Brissett by default. Right. Then they went Phillip Rivers playoffs. Hey, that's pretty good. Then after that, it was somebody Carson else, Wentz. Carson Wentz, who injured and had a bad game at the end of the year in the to get in. He had a bad play. A bad game, three interceptions, three interceptions, and the owner blew his top and fired him. Okay, well, threw him overboard. Yeah. Right, so right, so instead of having a play and in playoff game, you get rid of the guy, and you step take a step back. Now you got Matt Ryan, who is done. Yeah, More and the rest of your off, of and your up. offensive line stinks. So now you really can't play. And now here they are. They're fifteenth in the AFC two years after being a team nobody wanted to face. There is a Bengals practice update that we have for you, according to reporters in Cincinnati. No Jonah Williams, no Alex Kappa at practice for the second straight day. So there are two starting offensive linemen, the left tackle and the right guard, not practicing again here on Thursday for Cincinnati. We will take a break here. When we come back, we'll get some of your thoughts on the tweet sheet as far as what you believe is your key to a Bills playoff win over the Bengals and in studio our fresh-off-the-field interview of the week. It's Naheem Hines. He'll be in studio next here on One Bills Live. 
All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you, and join in studio now, fresh off the field. It's Naheem Hines after another practice today. All right, Naheem, it's been about half a season. Do you kind of feel settled in now, or do you, you know, there's always that catch-up and acclimation period, but I know, like, these guys in this locker room, they put their arms around anybody that's new. I'm sure it was no different for you. Do you feel settled, comfortable? Yes, I do. I do feel settled, uh... I joke around a lot more today. I'm not as well, not today, but I joke around a lot more because, uh, you know, I don't have to focus on the plays. It's hard. So uh, (laughs) I hear the plays every day uh, in the meetings and stuff, and they don't sound uh, like another foreign language to me. So uh, I've been adjusting well, and those guys, like you said, have put their arms around me and welcomed me. So I'm very, very welcomed here. And you've also, you're getting a handful of snaps every game on offense, but you're taking all the kick returns and the punt returns. How's that mix going? I. When I returned kicks, I said, don't make me cover. I mean, just give me less to do because the whole team can be playing great and I could really screw it up, punt, right. return a punt, right? You know, so right, yeah. And that's, that's, how's that going, that mix? Um, it's, it's great. Uh, I think uh, the first thing is uh, my teammates, those guys believing in me since my first day. And, you know, guys like Saran Neal, you know, Tyler Matakevich, Taiwan right. Jones, those guys and those leaders on special teams have really had my back. So uh, they made it really, really – easy for me to be back there. And then Coach Smiley has been great. But like I said, it's just those guys believing in me. And like how you said, we can really screw up a game. We can really win a game, too, and that's how we look at it. And that's what my goal is, to go back there and make sure the offense possesses the ball and do what I do after that. Against Miami a couple of weeks ago, or sorry, the Patriots a couple of weeks ago, did you, when you're in the, when you run through the back of the end zone on the opening kick, did you have full plans to jump into the stands, or was that just very <laughs> – Organic, natural, and just spur oh, of the moment. It was organic. I said, uh, I've always said when I scored here, I wanted to jump into the crowd. Oh, okay. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it just really goes to show Bill's ma- how Bill, great Bill's Mafia is. When we're out there, we feel like rock stars. So, you know, it's only right to stage dive. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was just great. I didn't plan it. I just saw the crowd and I just saw everybody and I was just thinking and it was the first thing that came to my mind. So it was organic. What are fans usually yelling in your ear? Or are they just screaming <laughs> in general? I've always been curious. Like, you know, guys jump in, and right. they're all fired up. They're patting you on the helmet. They're whacking you on the pads, and they're all excited. But are they saying anything that's even le- even understandable? I, I didn't yeah. hear anything. Honestly, like, they can pull- I have your chin strap? You know? <laughs> no, but you just hear everybody hitting you on the head. Uh, you hear a lot of screams. You hear a lot of right. cheers. And uh, really, people just pour water on you. That's right. that's one thing. I posted oh, a picture really? on Instagram, and there was, like, somebody just pouring water right on my leg. But that's really – I got out of there wet. So uh, that was probably the only thing I can think of and remember. Yeah, plus, you know, the guys that are there with you, they come in. You get there first, obviously. Then you jump in. And then there's, like, nine of your teammates jumping in and, and <laughs> hugging. It's, it's an awesome feeling, no question about it. What did you – you know, after that, and you're going to go back and return another kick, and the same thing happens. You take this one, actually, this one's longer. It's 102. What, you know, it was a different call, different return. Yep. And you end up running really free for 60 yards. You make that tackle. You break, guy breaks the tackle, and it's, that's it. It's over. Uh, you know, what's Matt Smiley say? What do you guys say in the meetings? I mean, how did that happen? And what, what were you saying about the, the X's and O's of those returns and how they worked? Well, the first return, it was a great return. Got to bounce it outside right. and, uh, you know, use my speed. But the second one, it was actually very interesting. I actually said something to Smiley, like, hey, let's go the opposite of the way we just went. And uh, then I told him what I was thinking about how to set up the return. And then actually at halftime, Smiley went and drew it up 
and he went and drew it up, and there were a little bit of questions, and we he showed everybody the return, mm-hmm. and then we went out there and executed. So uh, it was, it was, was crazy. Yeah, it's crazy when you know, like when you draw something up perfect, especially yeah. on the return unit to score. I noticed. So you didn't even like rep that during the week. That we second had, one. So the second one, we had another return like that, but since we had a, a certain block on the first return, we switched it up. And we had different blocking responsibilities, so my guys out there had to go I, out there dang. and learn. I noticed he caught that thing two yards deep, and he kind of ran back. You veered towards the middle of the field. I always tell people that it really makes a big difference when the returner takes off and goes one way and then veers back the other way. Because when you're covering, you know, you cover those things, you're like, oh, okay, here we go. And then when he slams it back before you even, he runs Mm -hmm. into traffic. It really sets up the blocks well, and that's what happened on that second return. Absolutely, and that's the one thing that, uh, you know, just as a returner, you have to know just tracks. Uh, Really, if you can have a good track, you can really set up a lot of the blocks and give your guys great angles because you just – those guys are aggressive, and they know – they think they know where the ball's going. So, uh, like I said, I set it up great, and after that, I had to break one tackle, and that just goes to show the other 10 guys blocking for me. Right. When you have a hidden yard – it wasn't very hidden yardage. They both went for scores, but – you always hear about the hidden yards that exist on special teams that, you know, the casual fan may not always see for, you know, they're focusing on offense and defense because it's just what's in front of them most of the game. Um, does Coach Smiley have, like, a hidden yardage goal every week? Like, hey, let's try to have 85 hidden yards in our favor or let's try to be plus 85 compared to their hidden yards. You know what I mean? Finish mm-hmm. ahead in that category. But I didn't know if he had, like, a benchmark that he wants you guys to try to hit every week. Uh, no, it's not a benchmark. It's benchmark. It's really just uh, have more than them, have a better av- average drive start to them. And really, gotcha. after that, it's play longer and harder than whoever we play. So play longer and harder this week for the uh, for the Bengals. And that's what we do. We just try to change field position, have better field position, and play longer and harder than our opponent. Yeah, rule one for all special teams plays, even when you're covering a punt or a kickoff, rule one is, hey, the best part is we got to end the play with the ball, even Absolutely. when you're kicking it to them. You know what I mean? It's Absolutely. always – the ball is always at risk in these games. What does you know? What is your philosophy about ending the play with the ball always? You know, particularly when you're catching it, obviously. But you know, what do some of the other guys say, and what's the attitude of the whole team when you know? You know, job one is pretty easy. Just catch it and hang on to it, and everything else is a little bit of gravy. Uh, well, I th- yeah, I think that's the. I think like you said, the one the job that you said is the easiest. Really, the hardest catching the ball and possessing <laughs> right. it, and that's especially in Buffalo. That's where people like you know, and they even tell you they send punters up here to die. And that's really what I've really just taken. Uh, taken. Uh, I'm trying to think of the word. I've taken a lot of uh, responsibility in, mm-hmm. and because you know I'm in Buffalo, I have to be loud with my uh, my hot calls, my Peter calls. Uh, there is a lot of wind. Mm-hmm. And uh, even sometimes there have been times where uh, I knew I wasn't going to catch the ball and the ball bounced towards me. And even though it's affecting my average, I try to gill the ball and make sure it doesn't roll all the way back to the one. And that's really what my goal is. What I try to do is uh, if I know I'm not going to return it, try to make sure the offense doesn't have the ball on the one or two. And after that, I feel like I have a great job. And like you can see Taiwan with me. There's I've always got guys with me that have my back. Do you um, when you <laughs> I don't know, it's weird, like your scores as a return man have largely come in bunches. I mean, you had a game with two punt returns for a touchdown. Now you have a game with two kick returns for touchdowns in the same game. You're the only player in NFL history to have that. What is it just – does it amaze you? Do you find it weird, like, that it happened that way? No. You know, that – why not? Why is it not weird? What's – I've done it before. I did it in high school. You did it? Yo, you said yeah, you had I've games in high school with multiple score games? Yeah. I mean, the, I remember uh, my junior year, one, one time they went three and out. 
returned it for a touchdown, then returned it again in the third quarter, kind of like the Patriots. So uh, wow, this is I've done it in middle school. I've done it just about every moment in my life. And uh, even in college, I didn't have two back-to-back returns, but I had a 80-yard breakaway. They go three and out, and then a 90-yard punt return. So uh, I've learned that uh, you know, I feel like my nickname that I was given, Nightmare, is very suiting, and I feel like I'm lightning in a bottle. So I feel like lightning can strike at any time. Wow, give us an idea. We're or twice. Yeah. <laughs> right. Let's. Uh, Let's spin ahead. Just one last question about this game coming up. Certainly a game that was suspended uh, three weeks ago when uh, because of DeMar. DeMar's now back in the building. You see him, everything's kind of like yep. you take a deep breath and like move ahead. It's great. And it's great, right? Um, and now the game comes around, uh, this time in Buffalo, and it's the playoffs. Well, I mean, you know, what's funny is uh, I, I have a friend on the team, and I kind of was like, hey, you guys are a great team, and uh, we'll see you guys again. And uh, that's kind of just how it works out with some situations and the unfortunate situation that happened. But for whatever reason, ever since that game has happened, has been suspended. In my head, I've just had a feeling we were going to see them again. So uh, I'm super excited for that. You know, we're going to start out and go out there and play, play our football, and I'm going to do my 111 to make sure we can help this team win and go to the to advance to the next round. Well, listen, Naheem, thanks for stopping by. We appreciate you giving us some time, giving the fans some time to get to know you a little better. Uh, you're always welcome back. And, uh, you know, if somewhere down the line here you want to get another two in the end zone, I'm not going to argue with you for one second. <laughs> right. Lightning strikes twice, <laughs> as uh, Naheem says. So I'm all about that, and I'll go with Nightmare too. I'll have to remember that because uh, I was the guy going bananas on those Shout calls. Shout out to Joe from Garner for that one. Okay, <laughs> right. okay, fair enough. Naheem Hines joining us here. Good luck on Sunday. All right, that's Naheem Hines joining us here on One Bills Live. We'll take a break here. Be back with more, including your thoughts on the tweet sheet next on One Bills Live, presented by Collida Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, here we are on One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker. We know that the New England Patriots are looking for an offensive coordinator. The New York Jets are looking for an offensive coordinator. And now the Miami Dolphins will be looking for a defensive coordinator. NFL Network's Ian Rappaport reporting the Dolphins have parted ways with D.C. Josh Boyer. Coach Mike McDaniel now set to hire his own defensive coordinator and some new defensive staffers as well. If you remember, McDaniel inherited Josh Boyer. They wanted to keep that side of the ball intact for continuity purposes. And now they'll be starting over. The question there is, Steve, do you, do you only hire a guy that's going to play a 3-4 knowing that that's what your players were playing in the better part of the last two years, or do you flip it and just start from scratch knowing it could set you back? Yeah, they lost Learning some, curve and all that. They lost some key starters to injuries and stuff, but you got to think this too. If they're standing out there looking for guys, all of a sudden they they see they're not really sure about Josh Boyer and, they, and all that, and then they find out that Vic Fangio is out doing interviews and they're thinking, hmm, maybe we'll, maybe we'll jump in on that. Yeah. That's what I would say is the fact that you know they got and you know they lost out on the well, they, not that they would have. I was going to say some of the other defensive names that were out there. Like Brian Flores, he's not going to go back to Miami. I just again. love the turnover. But they keep yeah. churning it, everybody else in the right. division. They're keep just, churning it. The, and now it's coordinators as yeah. often – more coordinators than head coaches these days. That's amazing Seems to that me. Way. It's different. This is a different year for that, right? I think so. I, I mean, there's five head coach openings, but usually yeah, there's more eight. coordinators. Usually there's eight, but now there's coordinators eight, yeah. everywhere. That are they're looking for jobs. Key to a playoff win over the Bengals. Tweet sheet comments brought to you by Corrigan Moving Systems, the official equipment moving company of the Buffalo Bills. James says defense. 
The D-line needs to take advantage of the patchwork since the O-line to pressure Burrow. Greg Rousseau is ready to bat down passes and wreak havoc. Milano and Edmonds will play at their elite level, and defensive backs need to play a hell of a game. Josh won't be stopped. I like Greg Rousseau kicking inside. The Ravens used Odafe Owe down inside. He's usually their edge rusher, and he caused a lot of problems down inside. I think Greg Rousseau could yeah. have similar success. The Bills have never done that, though. They've kicked him inside sometimes. Yeah. We'll see. Through the course of this year and last year, for I don't want to. I don't want to turn over the apple cart, but yeah, if they if they're down well, put three a, offensive linemen since week fifteen, you got to first of all you got to go straight up and say, all right, let's see what they can do first, and then adjust from there. Certainly have that stuff in your bag, but yeah, this is a game where maybe Ed Oliver just explodes again, like let's he did hope Thanksgiving, so. and like he does it every once in a while. G- Ed Oliver does it. Gigi says, score even if you have to dink and dunk. While long balls are exciting, what's his percentage of a completion? Thomas says, first off, we need to establish the line of scrimmage on the O-line. Last week, they were in 17th face all day, which led to turnovers and sloppy play. Finally, special teams. As much as we got the touchdown returns this season, we had a few plays that result in bad field position and turnovers. So more consistency on special teams, Thomas wants. All right. I mean, I'll I'll sign up for that. That's fine. We yeah. got a big show for you tomorrow, as we do every Friday, from NFL <laughs> Films, Greg Cosell, and Joe Burrow and Josh Allen's quarterback guru in the offseason, Jordan Palmer, joining us. We'll see you tomorrow at 1.